Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the testimony of Dr. Steven Simmering, the key defense expert witness who offered evidence supporting the claim that the defendant is not guilty by reason of insanity. On today's installment, we begin to explore the testimony of another defense expert, who observed and performed tests on Michael Barrison within three months of the shooting, and who offers supplemental evidence regarding the defendant's mental state. That's all coming up, right after the break. 
program. Uh, my supervisor had just graduated from Rutgers University and did research on infant memory. And I asked her if I could contact her supervisor. I did my dissertation on 11-week-old uh, babies. Okay, uh, can you give us uh, uh, your background with regards to any agencies that you were affiliated with, uh, with regards to your use of your... Uh, well, for a number of years, I worked, I did reports for Hudson County Superior Court, approximately 1,200 to 1,500 reports over a number of years. I was working for the Rossi Group at that time. Uh, subsequently, I became an administrator at Hudson County Jail uh, for three years. I saw patients. I had uh, my uh, office on the unit. Uh, they were all psychiatric patients there. During the time that I saw the patients and treated them, I also did further reports for the Superior Court. I also worked at a day hospital program for three years for aggressive children. I developed the programs there. I also worked uh, over 20 years for Social Security Disability doing disability assessments. They involve psychiatric, psychological, memory, and concentration type of uh, assessments. I also work currently at a long-term care facility uh, in which I'm a neuropsychologist. I provide direct care, and I also uh, go out and interview prospective patients, like at Greystone and other places. I'm part of a team with a mental health director. I'm the uh, chief psychologist on the mental health unit. There's two, two units there for mental health, one with really severely impaired individuals that have behavioral problems. Many of them have dementia. And then there's other people who have like schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and I work with them too. And I also see other patients throughout the building. Have you ever worked for DIFUS? Yes, I have. Over. What did you do for them? I did uh, psychological assessments for DIFUS for a time. I also worked for the PRU unit. That's the, uh, the parents' attorneys. And then I also did some work for the uh, guardian ad litem. How about work for either police or correctional officers? Actually, uh, uh, when I worked for the Rossi Group, I did uh, psychological assessments on law enforcement. They were police, firemen, and I also did reports for private police departments. If a police officer was depressed or had some kind of difficulties, I made a recommendation either to allow them to have their weapon or have it taken away for a period of time. I also have done work for different uh, prosecutors' offices and uh, private attorneys. This last year, I did a report for Passaic County Prosecutor's Office on a Kroll case. I uh, appeared in court about three times via video, and it was uh, on a uh, complicated Kroll case. In the last uh, two years, I did approximately nine private cases, including that one. Did you ever do any psychology work in the Hudson County Jail? Well, I was the administrator there. I was I was hired by a psychiatrist. I coordinated all treatment on the unit. I scheduled the psychiatric care. And as I said, I had my office right on the tier with the inmates. During the span of your third year career, approximately how many evaluations have you done? Many thousands of evaluations. So I would estimate anywhere between uh, 8,000 and above. And, and did most of those evaluations involve psychological testing? Yes. Have you ever testified as an expert? Yes, I have in federal and state court in New Jersey and out of state. Uh, for both prosecutors' offices and defense? Yes. Judge, at this point, I offer Dr. Hassan as an expert in psychology. Prosecutor, do you have any questions as to the qualifications of Dr. Hassan? Not at this time, Judge. I'll ask him. And do you have any objection to the court qualifying him as an expert in the area of psychology? No, you're right. 
All right, based on the testimony of Dr. Hassan with regard to his education, his background, his work history, training, uh, I do find that he's an expert in the area of psychology pursuant to Rule 702 of the New Jersey Rules of Evidence, and he will be permitted to render his opinion. I do find he does possess some specialized knowledge that will assist the trier, in fact, in making determinations necessary in this case. So qualified, go ahead, Mr. Belinkus. Dr. Were you hired by the defense to do an evaluation of Michael Barrison? Yes. And specifically, uh, can you set forth what you were hired to do? Well, broadly speaking, the goal was to assess his mental state at the time of the shooting on August 7th, 2019, but more specifically, to determine whether he suffered from a mental disorder as referenced in the diagnostic manual, uh, which impaired his thinking to the extent that he could not appreciate his actions and if he did know what his actions were, did not know what he was doing was wrong. He did not know the nature and quality of his actions. Now, did you physically meet with Michael Barrison? Yes. How many times? I met with him seven times. And uh, did you put the dates in your report as to when you uh, met with him? Yes. Are, are there any mistakes with regard to the dates? Yes, yes there are mistakes there. Okay. I met with him. Explain uh, when you met with him and for how long. I met with him on October 29th, November 5, November 6, November 19, November 20, December 4, December 5, for a total of 37 and three-quarter hours. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. After inquiring about Dr. Hassan's methodology for evaluating Michael Barrison with a battery of tests and with personal interviews, defense attorney Edward Belinkus asks the witness about other aspects of his psychological assessment of the defendant. In addition to meeting with Michael Barrison for 37 plus hours, uh, did you interview anyone else? I interviewed his uh, former therapist, uh, Dr. Uh, Picard, P-I-C-A-R-D. I misspelled it on my report. And and how long did you uh, interview her? 45 minutes. I also reviewed some notes she sent me, including text messages back and forth between Mr. Barrison and her over a period of time. And and why did you feel it necessary to interview Mr. Carter? Well, I wanted to find out uh, whether he had any uh, 
prior vulnerabilities that would uh, influence the possibility of going from uh, an earlier psychological vulnerability state into psychosis. Now, uh, why is that important to, to you with respect to your evaluation? Well, there's, there's a great deal of research that shows that many people in the general environment have what the pre-psychotic features, and if they're placed in a very stressful circumstance, they could convert into a psychotic situation. In his case, she said that while he appeared to be healthy, strong, and uh, imposing, six foot three or six foot four, she said he was a very vulnerable person and that uh, he suffered from uh, long-term psychological problems, including depression, suicidal thoughts. She noted that uh, there was a time when he was in Europe, uh, I think 2015 or 2016, in which he spoke to her by telephone, stating that he had researched getting uh, assisted suicide in Switzerland for $10,000, and she was able to talk him out of the suicide attempt, or not attempt, the actual suicide. But she said that basically he suffered from a lot of emotional instability. She praised him as having good features of his personality, but at the same time, she gave a non-varnished opinion about him, saying, you know, he had good points and some difficulties. Uh, do you reference your interview with uh, uh, Picardo on page nine? Yes. What if any other information that was relevant to your evaluation did you obtain from uh, uh, Picardo? She said basically that he was uh, paranoid on the fringes. Of, I'm sure she didn't know the actual term, but it would be pre-psychotic. He had features of an individual who could develop uh, psychosis if he was placed under sufficient amount of stress. And did she indicate anything with regards to uh, his history as a uh, child, small boy? Well, he had a difficult childhood. He had a, uh, a rough upbringing with his mother was emotionally uh, abusive and also likely physically abusive, and he struggled. He made a successful life, but, you know, he had a great deal of difficulties. He was also sexually assaulted as a child. Now, what impact, if any, would those circumstances have on your evaluation of Michael Well, individuals who tend to convert from pre-psychotic to a psychotic state have those features of having emotional instability, having a childhood history of abuse, and also being sexually assaulted. It would be a vulnerability that could um, magnify the effects of outside pressures. Did Ms. Picardo indicate the length of time that she had treated Michael Barrison not at all? She treated him on and off for 20 years. She said approximately the last two years she hadn't treated him, but before that she treated him for, she treated him six years earlier for about three years straight. In addition to your clinical interviews of Michael Barrison and your interview of Picardo, who was treating Michael Barrison, uh, did you do any psychological testing? Yes, I did. Personality, cognitive, neuropsychological, but most important, I did validity testing. The validity testing looked at personality tests to see if they were valid, and also at cognitive assessments to see if they were valid, such as memory. With regards to the MMPI-2, what is that? The MMPI-2 is an objective personality test. Two false questions. How it many questions are it's, Well, there's a total of 567. Two false questions. Uh, I did the MMPI-2. I scored that. And uh, basically, it has 10 clinical scales. Uh, each has a different name. So the What do those clinical scales measure? They measure uh, 
psychological problems such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, mania, etc. And do each of those components look at different aspects of, of someone's personality? Yes, they do. And, and again, so the jury understands, what are those 10 separate areas that are... Uh, well, the scales have different names, but scale one measures somatic complaints, physical complaints. Scale two measures depression. Scale three measures uh, a concept called hysteria. Scale four measures psychopathic deviance. It, it sounds scary, but it could be made up of uh, family and emotional problems. Scale five measures uh, sex identification. Scale six measures paranoia. Scale seven, it's called psychasthenia, but it measures anxiety. Scale eight measures uh, thought disorder of schizophrenia, it's labeled. Scale nine measures mania. The mean on the test, the middle score is 50. If you go above 65, it's significant. Every 10 points above that is a standard deviation. And in this particular case, Mr. Barrison scored extremely high on scale six. He had a T-score of 90. And what is scale six again? I forgot. Paranoia, I'm sorry. He scored what on that scale? 90. Can you explain what a score like that means to someone like you in your profession? It means that if we went in this whole building, there would probably be uh, 0.001 people who scored as high as that. It's extremely rare. But the important part about that is that the validity scales did not show any feigning. Okay, it was, now, you mentioned the word validity scales. Can you explain that so the jury can understand what you're talking about? Every test should have validity to see whatever conclusions are made are accurate. If the test doesn't have good validity scales, it can come up with any statement. But on the MMPI, it's basically one of the gold standards in the United States and in the world uh, for testing personality. He did not show feigning. He answered genuinely, honestly, and he had a very high score on paranoia. And then when I looked at the components of paranoia, persecutory ideas, it's called PA1, I believe the score was 105, if I'm not mistaken. That's even higher. And what does that 90 score and that 105 score indicate to you as a psychologist with regards to Michael Barrison's mental state? Well, not just to me. Any psychologist who did work on the um, MMPI would look at that to say that there's a very high likelihood of a delusional disorder, a psychosis, a break with reality. Now, how did you score that, that test? I ran it through a computer program made by Psych Psychological Cooperation. It gave it what they call extended scores. And are there other ways to score that test? Yes. Using that well, computer program? You could hand score it, but it's best to do with the computer scoring. Then I looked at additional scales on there. There's one program by uh, Alexander Caldwell that is a ratio between neurotic and uh, psychotic traits. He had a high score on that, an 88 score. That suggests that he's very prone to making idiosyncratic, uh, unusual deductions about events in the real world that would fit in with being paranoid. There's information out there, and he combines it in a way that doesn't make sense. That's all data and uh, scores that you got from the MMPI test. Yes, anything paranoid. Else, anything else from the uh, from that specific test? Well, he had a high score on anxiety and X. He had a high score, uh, another score on uh, BIZ number two that shows a bizarre, slightly bizarre thinking. There's different types of uh, delusional disorder. He has a delusional disorder two, not a one. 
one would be in schizophrenia. His type of delusion is a, a non-bizarre type of delusion. What's the difference? Can you explain that to the jury? What okay. type of delusion that test is pointing to? Well, the test would pick up both. If he had a high score on scale 8, which is schizophrenia, and a high score on 6, it would suggest that he has some type of schizophrenia variation. It would be a type 1 delusional disorder. But he didn't have that. His type 2 delusional disorder, like the schizophrenia type, you cannot make sense of why the person's experiencing that. But on a type 1, there's some event in the environment that the person is experiencing and is giving it an odd type of spin. But there's something out there that could make sense to you. So if you were in your living room in your house and the people above you were making noise, on one hand, you could say, well, it's the children frolicking around on the floor. On the other hand, you could say that uh, someone has brought in some uh, super machinery that is making the noise because they're trying to probe the people underneath, get secret information. So. There's a noise out there, but the way that the person interprets it is off. Did you score Michael Barrison with regards to the Rorschach inkblot test? Yes. And, and can you explain that test to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury? The Rorschach inkblot test was developed in 1921 by Herman Rorschach. It's um, 10 inkblots. Initially, it was 41 inkblots, but the publisher didn't want to spend the money, so they just kept 10. And it was a game in Germany at the time that you would show the picture of an inkblot and ask the person what it is. In any event, I scored it according to one of the, the current systems, the Exner system, and basically came out showing that he is uh, emotionally unstable. He uh, di has difficulty coping with stresses in the world around him. Part of the problem with his coping is he switches from overly emotional to an overly ideational or cognitive way of handling it but he's not behaving consistently. So because he doesn't behave consistently, two things happen. The people in the environment can't time figure him out how he's going to behave. And also because he's switching back and forth, he doesn't really work things out, you know, to come to a conclusion. Now, how is that Rorschach test scored? Well, the person is shown an inkblot and you say, what might this be? And then after that, you ask them where on the inkblot they saw it. Then you ask them, what about it made it look like a bat? So they may say, it's the, the form, it's dark ink or black or something like that. And you score that, the determinants. So you score the determinants for form, color, movement. And there's a whole bunch of other variables there, you know, on, that you can score. How reliable is that test, Doctor? Well, it's not like the MMPI. However, it's, uh, it's good in terms of explaining a person's way they see the world around them, their perception and their cognition. But it's, it's not meant to find out if a person has a delusional disorder because you could be the Unabomber, right? And come up with a very clean profile, you know? Because the person could say, well, I saw a bat over here, I saw this uh, over there. But it doesn't really speak to the issue of uh, the way he's thinking. Is there any validity portion of that test to determine its accuracy? Well, if you're going to do that test, you have to do it to a T. You just can't do it, you know, partially. The idea behind all of the testing is you do a whole host of testing to see if there's an overlap or agreement in the diff different tests. So you don't hang your hat on the MMPI alone, although that's a strong test. And you don't hang your hat on anything else, but to see if there's coherence. There was coherence between the Rorschach and these other tests that I did. The Rorschach indicated another quality of Mr. Michael uh, was that he has a tendency to put together various pieces of information that are discombobulated and form it together to come up with an idea. 
It's over-inclusive thinking. And I found that when I spoke with them, and I also found that on other testings. Other than the MMPI and the Vortex, did you do any other psychological testing? I gave another test called the PAI, Personality Assessment Inventory. And what is that test? That's a test similar to the MMPI, but it, it, it's different uh, technically. But it's a, it's a solid test. Uh, the validity scales were within normal limits. I used Rogers. Uh, there's a famous American um, psychologist who's done a lot of the work on malingering and deception. I used his cut scores for that test, and it was not, it was genuine the way he responded. The sum and substance of that test was he was high on uh, paranoid thinking, ideas of persecution, and he showed effective instability. The effective instability was picked up by a possible um, diagnosis of borderline um, personality disorder, but that's neither here nor there. The main point is that he had effective instability, where his emotions can be discombobulated kind of quickly under pressure. Did you do any validity testing? Well, it has validity testing on there. Uh, one is called the NI. Explain, Jerry, what validity testing within a test deals with. Validity testing can determine if an individual is manipulating his responses, whether he's overly reporting pathology or under pathology. It can tell that, right? Can you give an example so the jury can understand. Well, uh, suppose like I'm trying to, um, there's no diagnosis of malinger, but Suppose I'm trying to feign uh, some fake. Fake. What you're saying. fake. If I'm trying to fake something, that test could pick it up. And how does it do that? Uh, it has scales that have been uh, over the years determined to uh, show that, right? So some scales can pick up whether a person is uh, claiming excessive amount of uh, positive characteristics that most of the people in the world will not claim. Like I never lose my temper. There's other things that, uh, there's, there's other ways to do that. But the PAI, the MMPI have the strongest validity scales. Did you do any other validity testing? Yes. What? I did uh, a test called the SIRS-2, S-I-R-S-2. It's um, a revamping of SIRS-1. What they wanted to do is to cut down on false positives. So if someone was, let's say, feigning amnesia or something like that, or feigning some psychiatric condition, they don't want to have false positives. So what a false positive is if you go into a jail, there's a magnetometer, and every time you go through it, if it rings, makes a buzz because you have a back problem, had surgery, metal in your back, that has a high sensitivity, but it has, it's not specific. You're not br bringing in a gun or anything like that. So Rogers and his associates, when they developed it, they wanted to have a test that had strong specificity so that you wouldn't get false positives. On that particular test, Farisone did not show uh, any feigning. He scored honestly. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrisone. Join us on our next installment as we continue our look at the testimony of a second defense expert, psychologist Dr. Charles Hassan, who observed and performed tests on the defendant within three months of the shooting of Lauren Canerac. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. 
And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.